Hey y'all, producer Drew here. Today we'll be doing something a little different. In honor of the CMA's newest program, More Than Rhythm, a black music series, we've decided to give program host and ethnomusicologist Dr. Brigida Johnson the wheel this month and let her steer us in a whole new direction. Ray and I will be back next month with a brand new episode of Binder. But until then, I hope you enjoy this special presentation of the More Than Rhythm podcast. The following program is brought to you by the Baker and Baker Foundation and is a production of the Columbia Museum of Art. Hi, and welcome to the More Than Rhythm podcast. I'm Dr. Brigitte Johnson, host and ethnomusicologist. As we are entering our second decade of the 21st century, the sustained influence and popularity of black music in America and around the world is even clearer. No matter how contributions of African-Americans and their music has been omitted or written out of histories of American music, or even if they've been written back in, black music is not only an influential part of American music, it is a globally influential part of American music. And so while there's a great appreciation of the various genres and traditions of black music, and of course it has generated a lot of money globally speaking, we as an American society are playing catch up in a way in regards to the stories about black music in the U.S. and how these genres and styles have grown and developed to be so much a part of our lives as a nation. So beyond entertainment, black music has touched the social and cultural fabric of America for centuries. And in some cases has been a sonic ambassador for the United States as early as the 19th century, back when we saw, for example, the Fifth Jubilee singers touring Europe and introducing the Negro spirituals to the world by the end of their third and fourth tours, because of course they toured not only in Europe, but also South America and Africa. During World War II and World War I, black GIs in the military bands as well as jazz artists in these bands took jazz abroad along with their jazz recordings, thus bringing the sounds of 20th century urban black America to a global audience. We can look across several genres, sacred and secular, and see how the black experience in America and the musical expressions of that experience keeps these kind of wheels of influence and innovation perpetually moving and intentionally holding the familiar and traditional in one hand while pushing for new inspirations and sounds in the other hand. When we were thinking about this theme and what we could call the series, more than rhythm just kept coming up in my mind because in scholarship for a very long time, the only time you talked about black music in a serious way was always something about rhythm. It was always about the syncopation, or the percussion aspects of black music, and they kind of stayed there for a very long time. They didn't think about the melodies. They assumed there was no harmony. They just thought it was random. And so it was so much fixation on rhythms because of the influence of African rhythms. They were, of course, very different. The syncopation that African-Americans brought into American music is very, very prominent and very important, but they kind of stopped there. And so the idea of more than rhythm comes into looking at not only beyond just rhythm and percussion and drums and the bass lines, but getting into the fullness of black music and celebrating all aspects. And of course, we talked about melodies a little bit in our podcast right now. The harmonies and the harmonic language that Africans brought to America comes out in a lot of black music. Sometimes you hear people talk about blue notes. And so when we say something sounds bluesy or soulful, 
Oftentimes, those are sonic references. Those are about sound and feeling and not necessarily just rhythm. And so coming into the full conversation about what African-American and Black music does, musically speaking, is going beyond that more than rhythm. And also sometimes going beyond the traditional genres. We're going to have moments where we're talking about Black classical music and African-Americans who are composers of classical music in the Western art music tradition and what they bring to the table and those traditions that have been there. And oftentimes we don't realize as a part of African-American music traditions are classical traditions, are looking at composers like Florence Price and Margaret Bonds as a part of our legacy of music in this country. a series with Black sacred music, and I think it's a wonderful place to start because it's one of the core genres or core traditions within African-American music that has the longest history here, deep, deep roots in American music as well as in the Black community, and it's that the power of sacred music comes out and oftentimes outside of the sacred themes. Oftentimes people can be attracted to sacred music and not even have the same religious background as the music points to. Usually people are attracted to Black sacred music because they can feel it. Even if they don't understand the words across language barriers, people can feel something from this music. That kind of aesthetic of feeling the music goes into other genres. And so when you see great R&B stars like Faith Evans or Mary J. Blige, and you say, I feel their music, I really feel where they're coming from, they're pulling from their church traditions to make you feel that sonically. And of course, the lyrics you relate to, but the feeling of it from the sounds is coming from those sacred roots in Black music. Dr. Tony McNeil is affectionately known as Dr. T and is a sought-after workshop clinician, lecturer, consultant, mentor, and guest choral conductor throughout the country. Dr. McNeil is currently the Director of Choral Activities and the Chair of the Department of Music at Clinton College in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Dr. McNeil is the former Director of Worship and the Arts at Atlanta's historic Ebenezer Baptist Church, better known as America's Freedom Church. Dr. McNeil is a respected worship educator and consultant and participates as a member of the gospel recording group Donna Lawrence and the Tri-City Singers. He is also the founder and curator of the Call to Worship group, an online community of musicians and clergy. I'm so excited about this collaboration with you and the museum. I want this performance to not only be a performance, but an opportunity for people, like I said earlier, to enter into the music, mm. not only just to be listeners and spectators and absorbers of the sound, but to embody the sound, to do the sound, to sing with us, to participate in ways that they might not necessarily participate at other concerts. So yes, we will sing. We'll, we'll do some, some concertized arrangements of some spirituals and anthems and other music from the Black tradition of, of sacred music. I'll teach some things on the spot for the audience to, to join in with us. And then some things I won't teach. I'll just invite people to enter in. So it'll be some planned stuff and some stuff that 
won't be playing. Just like the community. It, it, yeah. Just that, like the community. You just never know. That's the nature of the music is to lean on the spirit of the room. Right. And, and the spirit of God to direct the performance. So it will be a planned performance, but there'll be aspects of it that won't be planned. And so I'm looking forward to having the audience be the choir. When I think about the power of black music, I often think about the power of black sacred music traditions. My mom was a member of the choir, so when I was little, they would bring me to the choir and I would just be sitting there listening. My uncle, James Harris, he passed a couple of years ago, but he was the pianist. And so I grew up in a family who went to a small church in middle Georgia, the Belvin AME Church of Marshallville, Georgia, actually was founded a couple of months after the Civil War. So it's a very old church, very rural church. And even though I'm from Atlanta, we would go down every other week to have a church with my mom's family and she was in the choir. And so we talk about a church of a couple of people, maybe 20, 30 people, and most of your choir is your mom and your aunt and your uncles. You get a lot of experience with the sacred music. So I grew up hearing the music of the AME church in the choir stand. And when they would have rehearsals on Saturday, I would be there and listening and watching my uncle play piano. I also grew up in a time where we had AM radio. When I grew up, there was no FM gospel radio. It was all AM radio. And so my mom would have WAOK on in the morning. So when I would hear her wake up to go to work and, and of course, take us to daycare or whatever, we would hear WAOK and hear all the music through the crackly AM waves. But the idea of every day, sacred music was there somewhere. Now, it, was, it wasn't just a Sunday morning experience. Dr. T, can you speak more to the power of Black sacred music in your experience as an artist and educator? Wow, that's a powerful question, Dr. Johnson. My first introduction to music, it was through the church. I knew church music before I knew any other music. My aesthetic for all art is filtered through church music. Wow. Visual art, uh, music, dance, any art that I encounter And so it was not until I encountered my classical training that I realized the classical stuff gave me the vocabulary for a language that I was already speaking. Right, right. I just didn't know the terminology, but I was enacting and engaging in the art without really knowing specifically what it was that I was doing. So... So church music is where I'm born. It's where I'm grounded. It's, it's where I'm anchored. My piano teacher in my formational years, God rest her soul, Mrs. Beatrice Gaynell Rue. She's a mm. graduate of the Hampton Institute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hampton Institute where she got her teaching music education uh, certification. But she trained me through this John Thompson piano series. I, I, yep. I'm not <laughs> yep. the red books. Yeah, the red, the red books. Red yes. books. Yes. And sometimes I would not be able to get the concepts readily from that book. But when she would reach for the hymnal. Right. And use the hymnal as a reference to teach me a concept that was in the John Thompson book, I would get it. Right, right. Because my anchor was in sacred music and she understood that. And, and when it was necessary to use uh, references from my experience in church at Oak Grove AME Zion Church, she knew how to tap into that treasure chest of things to make the classical stuff connect. To this day, my teaching is informed by that. I teach sight reading using the hymnal. 
I teach rhythm using the hymnal. (laughs) It is the thing that really grounds me as an educator and a performer. I love that. All that legacy. Hampton, they go all the way back. Hampton Institute. And then those John Thompson books. Literally, my uncle said, if they're not teaching out a John Thompson book, I don't know what they're teaching. So I had that little red and white book as well growing up. Absolutely. Hey, Wilson Bame here to give you even more More Than Rhythm programming. On July 23rd, we close out our second season with Grammy Award-winning, two-time Emmy Award nominee, and 2020 United States Artist Fellow, Dom Flemons. Flemons will join Dr. Brigitte Johnson to discuss his passion for storytelling through old-time music, his experiences with the award-winning Carolina Chocolate Drops, and his current projects that champion the Black contributions to American folk music, before he takes the stage to perform a set of tunes spanning over a century of early American popular music. For more information about More Than Rhythm, or any of the CMA's programs or exhibitions, please visit our website, www.columbiamuseum.org. And we'll see you at the next concert. Starting out the series with sacred music almost is like, you know, why is the sky blue for us? It's, you have to kind of start at all those kind of wonderful main tributaries. So many genres are influenced by sacred music or black sacred music. We definitely see the influence of Jubilee groups and Jubilee quartet groups on the 1950s rock and roll vocal bands. And so you get those wonderful groups and, and vocal groups because they are growing up listening to Jubilee singers and Jubilee groups who are changing the traditional spirituals by adding more vocals, blending things between hymn singing and hymn part singing, as well as jazz vocals and bringing those things together. 
Can you describe the influence Black sacred music has had on other American music genres? Oh, wow. Um, that's a whole class in itself. Yep. Uh, right there. Black sacred music has, has historically informed and transformed other genres. It is part of the, the spirit of the music to infect and affect its listeners and those who participate in the music. I think the two things that have allowed Black sacred music to inform other musics is its commitment to community and memory. Mm -hmm. You know, at the essence of Black sacred music is this creation of melody and rhythm that is memorable, that is accessible. Melody and rhythm that allows the person, after you hear it the second or the third time, for you to enter into that music. That memory and that level of participation is characteristic in almost all of Black sacred music, which makes it communal. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, I've noticed in my time as a musician across the years that when folks in other genres need something to pull people together, they go to gospel music. Definitely. They go, they go to the music of the black church because it draws people. It allows people to come as they are, where they are, talented, non-talented. You can hold a tune. You can't carry a tune in a bucket. You can find your place in black sacred music. And so that commitment to community and memory, a rhythmic and, and melodic memory, uh, I think are the two things that, that make it attached to other genres so easily. We see sacred music touching so many genres. We see sacred music in some cases being a, a way of getting back to the heart of black music. So when we think about, for example, the soul music era of the 1960s, 1970s, the big core, you know, roots of soul music is reaching back into the blues and in gospel. And so you see so many great soul singers, you know, your Isaac Hayes, your Barry White's, your Aretha Franklin's, so many of those singers reaching back to the blues basis of, you know, black music, as well as the church music and gospel roots of that music. And so thinking about that, um, what other genres can you name specifically for our listeners who may not know those actual direct influences to other genres? What could be some of those genres that have that influence from black sacred music? Well, oh man, the possibilities are limitless here. I'm thinking about how jazz has been informed by gospel. And I mean, thinking about Thomas Dorsey and the fact that he had one foot in the nightclub and one foot in the church on Sunday. So he was he was speaking both languages. Exactly. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, the influence of the juke joint will filter into how he played the hymns and the gospel on or what is now gospel. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, but the music that he played in the in the church and everybody back then didn't like it because it sounded like what they heard Saturday night. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, which told on them that they were up, up in the club listening to on oh, Saturday night. Exactly. <laughs> Be being very communal. Yeah, being very communal. Okay. You know, a lot of our R and B, pop, rock artists, uh, folks that we know and love. They got their start in the church. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm thinking about Jennifer Hudson, those those voices like that. Whitney Fantasia. Houston. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You hear church in their music. You can't help but but hear it. Right. Um, and church people who know that sound 
and who are around that sound, you know, when they encounter those artists outside of the church, it's recognizable. It's like, oh, I know, I, I hear that. Exactly. You know, and so it, it shows up in, in music across all genres. Today we see sacred music like gospel, as you mentioned before, being featured in commercials like for ESPN. I remember the Google Chromebook commercial. Oh, yeah. And then that Chrysler Super Bowl commercial that had, you know, I think some Detroit choirs in it as well. And even now in meme culture, this is this is getting around this season where, you know, Shirley Caesar's classic sermonette about shouting John oh my God. got turned into a whole viral <laughs> video. And so it's not only this millions of people in America, but just globally speaking gospel finding its way in these other spaces. Can you talk about the relevance of Black sacred music today as we see it continually going beyond church walls and church pews? Absolutely. I hear that question from you, Dr. Johnson. I can't help but to think about the energy and the enthusiasm about gospel music in Europe Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. and in the countries, you know, across the pond, as we would say it. You know, over the past 10 to 15 years, maybe even longer than that, there's been an explosion of interest in gospel choirs. I'm thinking about the energy in Europe with the large gospel choir festivals. Yeah, the Netherlands. That, yeah. Are, yeah, that are happening uh, in Italy and Denmark, the UK, Sweden, Korea, Ireland, all of these places where people are coming from other countries to these countries to participate in these mass choir opportunities to sing this music. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's a music that attracts people who cannot even speak English. Exactly. But they learn the English of these songs in community. Right. Okay? Exactly. In community with other back. people. Yeah. I have to honor the work of those clinicians who have been traveling abroad, like Donald Lawrence, mm-hmm. um, Isaac Cakes. Oscar Williams, Vincent Bohannon, mm-hmm. Dr. Diane White, Dr. Patrice Turner, and so many others who have been ambassadors right. of this music to these festivals and to these communities who find uh, such value in performing this music. Oh, yeah. We got to shout out Ron Rucker in Japan. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Ron Rucker's in Japan teaching gospel in Japanese and in English. I think I saw him on YouTube. Yes. And that's just to what you're, to your point, these wonderful clinicians that are taking the music and people are inviting them to teach the music abroad. That's so awesome for absolutely. gospel. Which I, I want to also underscore the fact that for any gospel artist or uh, especially songwriters who might be listening to this podcast, Get your music scored. Yes. Get your music transcribed because it opens the door for other cultures to uh, not only experience your music personally, but to experience the idiom of gospel music. I've been riding the coattails of folks like Kevin Lemons Mm -hmm. and 
Patrick Riddick and some of these younger guys, Ricky Dillard, right. that are doing great, great, great music for choirs. But I, I want them to transcribe that stuff, get it written down on paper because it opens the door for other other folks to to enter in. I hear you have some music that specifically reflects the traditions from the Carolinas. Yes. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. Some of the music will honor composers from the South Carolina area. One in particular, Dr. UZ Brown, who mm. is a professor of music and voice at Morehouse College. in Calpins, South Carolina, wow. uh, close to Spartanburg, but has gone on to be a renowned composer, arranger, conductor, performer himself. And uh, we're going to do a couple of choir arrangements by him. Also, we're going to dig into a little bit of the metered hymn tradition mm -hmm. that is so prevalent in this region of the United States, that North Carolina, South Carolina congregational prayer and praise hymn-like tradition that was born out of the Black church that inspired what we know now as praise and worship. It was mm -hmm. the, the, the predecessor right. of it. You know, with the deacon standing at the front of the church on both sides of the communion table, lining the hymns, right. speaking the text of the of the hymns because everybody wasn't literate. But, you know, they had the gift of hearing and being able to remember the text. And somebody uh, would pick a familiar tune is what they would say. And they would sing that text. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we want to honor that tradition. today, Dr. T. Thank you so much for this opportunity, and we are excited about performing and being here in Columbia uh, and being a part of this incredible series. Thank you and the museum.
Black music represents one of the oldest and broadest rivers that pour into America's sonic ocean. Whether it be pop or rock, classical or hip-hop, the music of Black Americans and the history that affirms it is key to its enduring popularity and influence across lines of race, gender, age, class, and even language. More Than Rhythm, a Black music series, aims to tell stories of that influence and celebrate the ways music has historically brought us together. Hosted by me, Birgitta Johnson, professor of ethnomusicology at the University of South Carolina, this series takes you on a musical journey through several eras of Black musical expressions. For the next two years, the CMA and I will bring you several iterations of this series, each focusing on a different subject, genre, or conversation. These experiences will take place at the Columbia Museum of Art and will involve world-renowned musicians, cultural scholars, community discussion, and the celebration of Black music. The More Than Rhythm podcast is a production of the Columbia Museum of Art. Recording and editing by Drew Barron. Funding for this series is made possible by the Baker and Baker Foundation. And this program has been made possible in part by the Friends of African American Art and Culture and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Democracy demands wisdom. Today's episode was hosted by Dr. Brigitte Johnson. Additional production for this series is brought to you by me, Wilson Bain. Today's guest was Dr. Tony McNeil, and he also led the Heritage Celebration Chorale, which you heard throughout the episode. A full list of music from today's episode is available in the show notes.